The underlying assumption is that if we get all of the information into as many hands as possible, we're communicating well. We need people to move the information around effectively so that everyone knows stuff. Yep. And Ben and I are saying, no, 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 no. Welcome back to Building Better Games, everyone. We recently walked you through many of the not-so-great production archetypes that we've seen across dozens of development teams and studios. You've probably found yourself asking, what should I be focused on as a producer? What does a good producer even look like, and what kind of an impact can they have? And finally, what impact does this have on producers working today? We really wanted to take a moment to touch base with you all and provide you with our model for great production since we know we've been mad dogging a lot on social media and in newsletters telling you what bad looks like. But today we're going to talk about what good looks like. So today we're going to give you that model and let you know what you can do to start your journey toward becoming a great game producer. Our approach to the role of producer is a little different than most of the industries and it might seem unorthodox to you. We'll walk you through it and help you understand why we need to revolutionize how we think about game production. What is it that we actually see production being uniquely when it comes to game development? Because like it's a discipline and it adds value. How so? Because by the way, even that statement, production is a discipline that adds value, some people would debate with me, and perhaps in some organizations, appropriately so. Let's talk about that a little bit, that reaction, because we mm -hmm. often have conversations with executive production leaders about the topic of production, and commonly the conversation goes this way, Ben and I, saying, hey, you're focused too much on these things and not enough on these more important things. Yeah. And the response is something to the effect of, hey, I appreciate your opinion that I shouldn't be focused on these things as much, but A, you haven't told me what I should be focusing on instead, and B, more importantly, reading between the lines, if I stop doing as much of those things, those are the things that I perceive to be the value that I offer the skills that I have, and the majority of the job that I'm accountable for. So if right. I stop doing those things or, and focus on other things as you're telling me to do, the ceiling's gonna fall in. Yeah. And so to be clear, what we're talking about here is let go of some of the damn management and focus more on leadership. You'll notice we're gonna go through our model for what great production looks like. The word management is not in there at all. Yeah. And it's not to say, again, I can't reinforce this enough. Management is important. But I keep having conversations with producers at various levels. And I say, leadership management should be like 80-20. Right now, you're operating in a world where you're lucky if it's 80-20 in the other direction. Yeah. And so I think the spirit of that conversation and the obstacle we're running in there is like, I think a lot of people who talk to us, they feel like, what they're not getting is a clear direction from us. Yeah. But I think the bigger issue that I see is we're having trouble, all of us, letting go of the things that have made us comfortable, the things that we think we're good at, and the, the lessons that we've already learned from game development. With this skill set, the majority of the challenge you're going to face is letting go of what you've already been taught.
letting go of what you're already doing in many cases. The thing I, I rebuttal when people argue with me about this, it's like, well, but you're already doing those things and, and by your own admission, it's not working. Yeah, spot on. So when I look at this, one of the things I, I took a step back because uh, I was doing some, some course build out stuff around production and I was like, okay, wait a minute. So there are a bunch of disciplines inside of game development. There's engineering, there's design, art, like QA, audio, HR, all the different things that so many large organizations might have. If you have a large studio, you have all those disciplines, plus all the ones that are more directly related to game dev. So what are all disciplines? When I backed way up, I was just like, well, all disciplines in game development are attempting to solve problems related to their own expertise. That is what we all do, right? If you're an artist, you're trying to find artistic problems and opportunities within the product, the game that the players are going to have or have right now, and you're solving them. You're solving them using your skill set of art. And so then that leads to the question, well, what is production's expertise? I've been in that role for a long time, but I've ever stopped and gone like, what are the problems I'm supposed to be solving? What am I supposed to be relating to? And if we landed on this idea that production's expertise is in human systems and leadership, these are the things. Understanding how human systems operate and how you lead are what production are uniquely good at and the problems that we attempt to solve. Production is force multiplication of others. We do not add art to the game. We do not add code to the game. We do not add design documents or anything like that. What we do is take all the people that are adding value directly to the game and we force multiply them. We attempt to make them better. And so production is force multiplication of others through creating, improving, and maintaining the human systems towards the shared goals. And I, I think it's worth noting too that Ben and I have a belief that that is highly valuable and that that is a unique skill set or a unique focus area compared to the other disciplines. So one of the things I think that's a trend in the industry right now is actually the production shedding. I've never seen fewer organizations out of the entire industry percentage-wise that value production or have producers even. Like I see some companies, some game companies getting rid of their production. I see some companies marginalizing their production. I see some companies minimizing the role of production. And it's important to note that for Ben and I, we view production as leadership fundamentally. And so if you tell us, well, we don't need producers, you're effectively saying the leadership that producers should be providing can be easily replaced by other disciplines, or we don't care about leadership. And I think that most of the time organizations are subscribing to bucket one. But I would say that it is a value to organizations to have dedicated leadership. And on top of that, we're going to talk about the other big piece, which is human systems which is a gap I think that exists massively in most of the game organizations we work with that we have not holistically figured out a way to fill. And so Ben and I are recommending that producers in their best ideal state are the perfect solution for that problem. Okay, so, so if we have, again, all disciplines solve problems, productions, problem space is in human systems and leadership. How are we gonna do that? Production is force multiplication. We see three core skills as what producers do. Here's what those skills are, how we break them down, 
And then we'll also be diving into some of the more complex issues stopping people from developing or using each of these three pillars. We may not dive into each bullet point specifically, but the pillars and the bullet points are the framework that we use to describe what good production looks like. Aaron, do you want to run us through those three skills? Yeah, sure. The three core skills are leadership, influence, and systems building. So these are the core like study areas, like academic areas, if you will, that are going to form the nucleus of your effectiveness as a producer. What are the pieces of each of those three things? Well, in leadership, we're talking about, again, this idea of influencing a group of people towards a goal. So we're talking about four key areas, setting goals or painting targets. Number two, establishing culture. Three, outcome focus, ensuring results. And four, driving change. For our second pillar, influence, empowering others to make good decisions. First, communication amplify, pass through, and shield. Second, generating alignment. Third, building effective relationships. So those are the three aspects of the influence pillar. Now for our third pillar, we'll go into systems building or human systems building as we discussed earlier. So making those results repeatable. Number one, direction setting and incentives. Number two, modeling, particularly behaviors. Number three, work systems and process. Let's start with leadership. Yeah, as we take a step back and look at leadership more broadly, so, you know, again, we talked about setting goals, establishing culture, focusing on outcomes and results, driving change. To me, I feel like the two biggest hinging factors there that seems, I don't know if anyone would argue that this is controversial, but to me, they seem like the biggest departure from the way I often see production done today is in the, the outcome focus and the driving change, actually. So I think a lot of production departments and a lot of producers would say that they have an outcome focus, but I rarely feel like I actually see that practiced in truth. The thing that comes up for me there is that I think many would say, yeah, I'm outcome focused. And we would say, what's the outcome? What's the outcome you're focused on? And a lot of times there, we would then say, that's not a great outcome. You know, well, I'm outcome focused. Look, I, my outcome is we have a great plan for the next six months. Yeah. Or my outcome is look how happy my team is. And Aaron and I are talking about something different here when we talk about outcome focus. Pretend nothing existed. Players had a problem, which was the game that you want to make, let's say, wasn't there for them to play. And it's this game that they would love. It's this game that they would enjoy. When I say outcome focus, I'm thinking about that team coming into existence, your team, the studio, the idea for the game and everything being oriented towards meeting that player need, mm -hmm. showing up in that player's life as here's something that you are going to enjoy so much, you're going to be willing to pay us money to keep making for you. Yeah. But you want this game. You want to play it. This is the outcome that matters. It's that customer first kind of approach. But for us in games, it's that it's player first. Yes. We focus on the player first is what we're doing top to bottom focused on that outcome. It's so interesting because as I hear you say that, I'm like, I can hear the throngs of producers, particularly junior producers reacting and saying, well, that's outside my job description. Like that's too big, that's too strategic, like that's not what I'm focused on every day, that's not what I'm accountable for. Or, and this is often the case, that's not what my leaders, like my bosses are holding me accountable for. 
Like that conversation happens at a higher level than me. And we understand that and we sympathize with that. Yeah. Here's the problem with that though, going back into the driving change aspect. So the number four aspect of leadership, what happens if you realize that the process on a team that you just started working on is actually slowing the team down? Like they could move faster if you, if you just ripped the whole damn thing down and said, no more Jira tickets, no more spreadsheets, no more meetings. And by the way, I think that there are more teams out there that are in this situation than most of us would like to admit. If you're in a place where you don't feel like you're accountable or responsible to drive the kind of outcomes that Ben is talking about, you will never tear down that process. Worst case scenario, you ignore the fact that it's damaging the team or holding the team back and you do nothing. Best case scenario is you optimize the heck out of that thing and you try to like survive it by any means necessary. It limits the ability that you have to impact positive results on the team. And I've seen producers do that, by the way, and the team is just like, thank God this person actually gets us. Right. And so that's the point. Like, this is so important. It might seem like a nuance, but like ask yourself what it really means to be outcome focused. What does an outcome mean to you? And if you do feel like the only outcomes anyone cares about you is, do you have process? Yes or no? Does the process look cool, like a cool process? If yes, then producer is successful. If that's the accountability structure you have, I would really sit down with your boss and have a, a hard conversation about what more you could take on, like how you could have more of an impact. Because if you can get your boss to sign off on that, I guarantee your job becomes more fulfilling as well. Mm -hmm. Like if, if you're the kind of person who sees a problem and wants to solve it, if you're the kind of person who really wants to deliver delightful experiences to players, you're going to constantly feel like you're shackled by that system. And we see this all the time. We see producers that feel constantly sort of like smushed under a system like that. And I think that they believe, they've convinced themselves that there's not much they can do about that. And I actually think there's a lot more you can do about that than you realize. And I think this is really where some of the influence stuff comes in again. Yeah, let's segue in. Let's segue right into influence because I think it. I think this is perfect. Yeah, so we said we were gonna take a step back after going over the high level of the three points of influence and talk about why this is such a non-starter for a lot of people and why this is also a one that even folks who have the desire to really internalize and grow in this area, like struggle with it. You and I have talked about how we've like some of our biggest hangups in our careers, like we ran up against a wall, we're around this. Absolutely. And, you know, it's funny as I look at this, I'm like, this one feels like the most identity implicating out of all of them too. Mm. Like when I first was confronted with the idea of building influence skills, I had a hostile reaction to it early in my yeah. career. I don't like politics. Yeah. I don't like them. Keep them away from me. I don't want to play the political game. I told myself stories that people who were really, really influential and good at influencing must also have a bad agenda because why would you focus on that skill set if you could do something more valuable like the leadership bucket or the systems building bucket. And I started to realize as I got more senior that the influence is actually the conduit for all of the other things that you do. 
because we're talking about human systems, you cannot sidestep understanding and building intimacy with and getting to know and caring about and building trust with the humans in the system. Yep. And I think all the skills are the same in a malicious scenario and in a positive scenario, but don't be mistaken. Both are possible. One of the things when I got to a senior or director level and I started coaching and mentoring my people on this and they had similar resistances. Yep. One of the things I would say is if you're a good person, you're a good leader, you care about the team, you care about the player, you care about good outcomes, like you want these things and you don't build your influence, you don't leverage your influence, all you're doing is leaving a vacuum for somebody who doesn't care about any of those things and is willing to use their influence. Right. It goes beyond like, hey, you should look into this and build these skills. It's you are doing a disservice to yourself, the team and the organization if you do not build these skills. Again, if we say leadership is the establishing of the goal and then the driving change, one of the primary mechanisms for being able to drive change, they all sit inside of this influence bucket. It's the communication. What are you amplifying? What are you passing through? What are you shielding from those above, those to the side? How are you generating alignment and around what? And are you building effective working relationships? And, you know, one of the things I think other people was like, well, are you saying I need to be friends with everybody? No, I'm not saying you need to be friends with everybody. I am saying you need to understand who the people are around you that have a lot of influence, how you can engage with them so that you can drive positive change. Because if you have tons of leadership, I don't even know if you can without influence, but let's say that's possible, but you had no influence, you're going to have great goals. And you're going to spend a bunch of time trying to drive change and no one's going to go with you or you're going to get blocked because somebody with a ton of influence is going to disagree and they're going to pull everything back in the wrong direction. And Remember what we said was the point of influence. I know we, we've just talked a lot about politics and a lot of how this, I think, gets wrapped up with a negative lens. This is about empowering other people to make good decisions. And there's also this effective relationships piece to this. So yes, you, we want to generate alignment. Yes, we want to build effective relationships. Yes, we're going to communicate so that everybody is making better decisions that move us towards the goal, directly or indirectly. And if you never engage with the influence space, you cap yourself. And it, by the way, I think some people in production at some point said, you know what, I never want to play in the influence space. And by the way, I've done this at certain points in my career. I've hit roles and I've said, I have enough influence to do what I'm doing well at a particular level. I have little interest in the layer above because the amount of politics involved is high enough and the, the amount of the work I love to do is low enough that that doesn't feel like it would be an engaging career for me. Mm -hmm. That's okay. To reject this altogether is to strongly limit yourself in your ability to drive positive change inside of organizations because you limit the scale at which you can operate. We all know how that's felt, right? And it's that like it's worth noting that I think the more senior you are, the more the influence game has an impact on the people below you. And so if you ever allow yourself to be in a situation where you have very low influence or you end up in a situation where you have very low influence, rest assured that that is having an impact on the rest of the organization. One thing I wanted to dig into because we it comes up constantly is this idea of communication yeah, and the role that communication plays. And what we mean by communication as opposed to the way it's often referred to when we talk to people in games. For the record, for anyone who's, who's listening to this, 
uh, when we ask what the challenge is in, in organizations or with production, game production in general, like in a broad sense, probably the most common answer we receive is communication sucks at my company, or we don't have good communication, or we're just not communicating, or we're well. not communicating well, or producers need to communicate more or handle communication more. And it's worth noting that in this context, what we have discovered communication means as we dig in and ask for their questions is often the ferrying of information between different groups yeah. or different individuals. So if we just all had the access to the right information, we would all have less problems. And I don't want to oversimplify this because there's a lot of nuance depending on the organization that you're in, but it's worth noting that this communication expressed in that way is not something that Ben and I are concerning ourselves with here. What we're actually talking about is the effectiveness of your ability to articulate and transmit information in a conversation between you and a team or between you and a yeah. stakeholder or whatever. Like, like, can you be compelling and convincing and outcome-based and data-informed and all these things like as you articulate? Yeah an argument to a stakeholder. That's what we're talking about when we talk about communication. You're describing the idea of framing, right? Yeah. I have a, some information. It's one of those things where we maybe have a data point that says, we track capacity on our team and last month, we got less capacity than we expected to done. Okay, if I take that raw, I really don't know what to do with it. And one of the thing for me is always that life is too nuanced for those sort of simple data points, right? So that, I could be like, well, I communicated. We usually do 90 things. And last month, we only got 75 done. Oh my gosh, we got 15 less things done. I can go and panic about this. I can go tell stakeholders in a neutral stance. I can do all this. Or I can try to look into that and go, well, what's the context around this? What happened? Why did that happen? Oh, <laughs> It's because it's December and everybody was off for two weeks. Holy crap, we should be shocked we got 75 things done. Mm -hmm. And then how do you filter that context as you communicate it so that exactly. your audience doesn't get overloaded by the raw context you've now discovered? How do you break that down into two or three bullet points that your stakeholders need to hear in the next update? Yep. And how do you deliver that again with confidence with a follow-up and here's what we're gonna try differently next time. We're gonna check in with right. you two weeks. If you have any concerns, follow up with me, I'll be available. Right. Like so much of that tone and that framing back to the, your use of the word framing I love is like, that's what we're talking about when we talk about communication. Yes. The underlying assumption in most organizations subscribe to mm -hmm. is that if we get all of the information into as many hands as possible, we're communicating well. And so we need people to move the information around effectively so that everyone yep. knows stuff. And I think that this has become even more of a challenge in the remote world we live in now. And, yep. and Ben and I are saying, no, 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 no. Producers should take a step back, should be the ones to take a step back and through an outcome focused lens, through a leadership lens, ask the question, what information is necessary for the right people to deliver the right results? So like one of the things I think is, is an anti-pattern is when producers are just transferring buckets of information 
yeah. amongst different groups. And even if it's the right context, but there's so much of it that it becomes overwhelming. And in fact, I would go as far to say that in a lot of game companies, there's way too much information and context being exchanged. Yep. Because somehow I see thousands of JIRA tickets and thousands of spreadsheets and thousands of Confluence documents just flowing back and forth every day. But when I ask people, what's the game you're making? And I cannot get a clear answer to that. That yeah. tells me right there that the wrong information is being focused on. Right. Like we don't have time to have a company strategy meeting where this, the game director sits down with the team and explains to us all what the North Star is and what the game is and which direction we're going. We don't have time for that because we're all in so many meetings. I mentioned this earlier. We're not saying hide anything. We're not saying don't no. be transparent. We're not saying don't be open. Like, oh no, sorry, you don't need that. And like, we're not saying go to a need to know basis. That goes in the opposite direction in a negative way. What we are saying is, you are trying to, through influence, empower others to make good decisions. They need some information and they need that information framed in order to do that. Good producers are good at figuring out what information and how to frame it to who so that they create alignment, that they're able to generate alignment and that they're able to build effective relationships and, and then maintain them over time. 100%. And um, those skills are hard to learn, by the way they're not very often taught. Like, I think these are the skills that when I look at them, out of all of them, I was not taught. So for you all, you know, we again, we have three, we have communication, generating alignment, building effective relationships. I don't know if I have a good recommendation on like place you can go to improve your communication skills. I've actually, interestingly enough, from some of my trusted mentors, had improv actually recommended to me as something you can try to sort of be like quicker on your feet, better, more, have crisper articulation. And because of the scenario and sort of role-playing based elements of it to actually be, get better at framing yeah. more effectively. So that's one thing off the top of my head and on building effective relationships, Ben and I did a podcast with Zach Blitz that really went to the bottom line. I think yeah. of like how you can do that and immediately start accruing capital with people and building trust. So take a look at the Zach Blitz Relationships Podcast. The one I would recommend is, I've, we recommend it so much, The Advantage by Patrick Lencioni talks about this at scale. The Five Dysfunctions of a Team by Patrick Lencioni is another good one. Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. A lot of the principles in that by Stephen Covey, things like seek first to understand, then to be understood, understanding your sphere of influence and your sphere of concern. Yeah. I think if you like pick up a book on negotiation or one or two or take a little course online on Coursera, I don't want to imply that every time you go communicate with someone, it's a negotiation. That's not true. But some of the ways that negotiation helps you think about the other party and their interests and your interests and how those things aren't always going to be the exact same. And how do you come to a compromise or a sort of win-win? You're constantly seeking that win-win. Yes. Good resources on negotiation will help you reach that more consistently. So keep those things in mind. And again, remember that a lot of this influence is about empowering others to make good decisions and getting that alignment, getting people on the same page so you can unlock productivity, you can unlock goal focus, you can unlock movement towards the goals. So let's talk yeah. about systems building. This is about making results repeatable. This is about, we've discovered something that in our culture and our context seems to work well. How do we make sure we keep doing it? And the simplest version of this is the one we as producers are all really familiar with. Well, 
what went well was this person talked to this other person. So we'll book a meeting where that happens regularly. Okay. Sometimes that might be wise. Aaron and I both have a ton of caveats around that. There's a huge, it depends flag there, but sure. We need a meeting to talk about this particular topic and make sure that, that we stay on the same page around it, right? This is about making the results repeatable, maintaining goal alignment, maintaining the ability of people to make good decisions. And we actually don't start with process when we talk about this. There's two other bullets that we find more relevant. One is the idea of direction setting and basically having internal to your culture, the vision, whatever it is, having people, influencers, you might say, who are able to say, this is the way we do things, or this is where we're trying to go. And that creates incentive. That leads to the second one, which is modeling those same leaders and everyone else constantly modeling good behavior, modeling what it means to behave in an appropriate way. These two things are going to create the foundation layers of your organization and that they're going to impact the culture and the vision to a massive degree. Mm -hmm. So you as a producer, yes, you're a leader. Yes, you're using your influence to help people make good decisions. And when you're building systems, it's not just process systems. It's also the idea of setting direction and being really repetitive sometimes about that direction and then modeling the culture that you want to see, the behaviors that you want to see so that other people pick up on that and realize that's what good looks like. Yep. And then lastly, it's the work systems and the process. Those things are absolutely around maintaining and building alignment. They're about the results being repeatable through that lens. How can we keep everybody focused on the goal, knowing what they're supposed to be doing, how they're piece fits into the broader piece. All of that is through, you know, the meetings and your JIRA tickets and all these things. And that's where they have value. There you go. I said it. JIRA tickets have value. They do. I believe that meetings have value. Reports have value. All these things have value insofar as they're helping you help others make good decisions and stay focused towards the goal. Yep. And it's worth noting that in those first two categories, when it comes to direction setting and incentives and modeling, if you do a really great job with those and the leaders around you do a really great jobs with those, it takes a lot of the stress and burden off your work systems. Yeah. Your work systems can be much more lightweight, much easier to manage. Management burden goes down across the entire organization yeah. in those scenarios. So, and again, there's a lot of nuance there, which is why the modeling and the direction setting are so important. Like I would dare say that, you know, when you're thinking about systems building through this lens, our minds tend to go to the mechanical management process. Like where's the paperwork? Where's the template? What are the stages of the interview? Where's our risk analysis sheet? Like these things matter. But when you can actually set your team right when it comes to things like culture and behavior, you're going to realize that the results are great and you're going to be focusing on different things than you might have thought you were focusing on. And one of those that comes up to mind is feedback, lots and lots of feedback. So like organizations where there's not a lot of feedback happening or feedback only happens once somebody's like at the end of the line, that's not consistent with this, Yeah. right? Because we're trying to encourage you to take an active stance. Like we're trying to encourage you to be deliberate. We're trying to teach you to build systems from scratch, even when they're not there as you need to as a leader. So like when you're going to be out there thinking about like, okay, well, how's my team behaving? You're going to be giving a lot of feedback. You might be receiving a lot of feedback. You need to know how to do that well, right? Which kind of also speaks to the communication thing we talked about earlier. Like, do you have technique for that? Yeah. Yeah. I love that call it too, because feedback is one 
We talked about in leadership, one of the bullets was driving change and feedback is a mechanism for that. We talked about how in influence, there's this idea of what do we communicate and generating alignment. Feedback is a mechanism for that. Feedback, you know, if I think about these three pillars of leadership, influence, and systems building as like a giant sort of three-circled Venn diagram, feedback, it sits inside of all of them. And when I think about the systems building, the intention to make results repeatable, I love how you called out if feedback isn't happening, people are less likely to be doing the right things because they're not hearing from others who have different perspectives from them what a better way to operate might be. What that means is that rather than making results repeatable, we're probably just continuing bad patterns because no, nothing's correcting them. Feedback steps into that cycle and says, hang on, you just did something and it's Maybe it was fine, but it could be better. Maybe it was bad and it needs to be good. And I'm going to give you feedback around it. And what I'm trying to do there is kickstart. Here's a healthier pattern. And through feedback consistently over time, not just from you to other people, but to you as well, as Aaron pointed out, we help create an environment where things like collaboration can exist and continue. Things like healthy feedback can exist and continue. This isn't, you know, harsh critique for the sake of it. This is productive, constructive feedback to try to help everybody be better. That's part of systems building. And I think so often we don't look at it that way. We instead, when we think about systems, we think about work systems and processes in terms of work management systems or meetings or artifacts uh, like backlogs and things like that. Yeah. And it's, it's so interesting again, because when we look at these three pillars um, overall, we're talk about leadership. It's like moving them towards the goal. Yep. Then there's there's influence, and which is like again using your communication skills, framing all these things to make it possible for everyone around you to make good decisions and move in the right direction. And then systems building, make results repeatable. And I want to emphasize here that like to me, a good producer is a human systems architect. Yeah. And so to be an architect, you need to understand how buildings work. You can't just take a blueprint and run with it. So like, I think a lot of, and this is something I just really wanted to call out. A lot of producers are stuck in a world where it's like, well, we use safe and I, I'm safe certified or we use scrum. And it's like, there's nothing wrong with those things. Again, those things can be helpful models for you to set up for your teams. But I still feel like overall, our understanding of the why behind those techniques and our understanding of the way that they interact with human beings to create certain outcomes is poor. And so when we say we want you to be a systems builder, the word builder is very deliberate. We want you to eventually get to a place where you can dynamically generate and architect your own systems from scratch. And again, we understand that if you're a junior, this may not be a reasonable goal for you to hit in the short term. I get it, use out of the box, scrum, learn, figure it out, experiment. But when we're talking about like the end all be all of production, like the architecture needs to be a core part of the service you provide because the dynamic nature of the industry we're in and creative development and the complexity that is increasing over time, like we need system architects that can come in, analyze a situation and provide a system, build a system that is catered to that group of people. And so you need soup to nuts, all of the skills necessary to do that. So I really want to use this word architect to describe what your role is ideally there and not just that you're like a process person. 
or like that you know different kinds of processes or that you got your PMP or whatever. Again, all those things are useful, but you really need to get into the nuts and bolts of like, we're talking about like, hey, if you build uh, in this ecosystem, like you need, you know, 50% more supporting beams for your building to stand up. Like that kind of stuff is the stuff you've got to be thinking about. Like, and that allows systems building to be a skill that puts a megaphone over your goal focus as a leader. Right. This is advice I often gave to junior producers when they would arrive. They do different meet and greets with different people. And I was often on that list. One of the things I would always tell them is you need to figure out where you're going. And I know we've talked a lot about like setting goals and the outcome and of the game and the player and all that. I mean this actually at every layer that we've talked about, though. Producers are responsible for knowing the destination for their team as well as the game. And that's through multiple lenses. That's through what would the best culture look like here? What would the best vision and mission and goals look like here? What would the best process look like here? You want to figure that out. And what you're going to be tempted to do when you first do this is immediately try to transform the entire team into what you think your ideal is. And that's going to go really poorly because one, people don't handle change that well and certainly not that type of mass change. And two, you're probably wrong about some of it and you force everybody into that system and then it starts breaking and you're not able to deal with it. The reason I want you to figure out what your destination is, is because you hold a vision as a producer, whether you're on a discipline or a cross-functional team, you hold a vision of what, okay, this is where we're trying to go. This is the ideal version of this team. Now you take that vision and you diff it against where you are today. Okay. We're not at the ideal state. You never will be. That's okay. What's a step. And one of the more important steps I could take right now on the journey to go from where we are today to that ideal state. That's the endless journey of a producer. That's why our work is to some extent never done. You're gonna leave a team when it's high functioning before you reach that goal, but you're gonna get it to high functioning first. And that's often the goal, to take teams that aren't functioning as well or kind of just you know bumping along or okay. You're gonna attempt to make them better. Your job isn't just keep them running, it's help them be better. And the best producers go, this is where I'm trying to take them. And so I'm going to give you some example things that you can focus on as parts of that vision for who that team should be that if you don't see it are worth looking into. One, is the team or discipline you're on capable of working together towards a shared goal? Basically, can they focus? Can they focus together on a shared goal? Two, can your team collaborate well? Are they able to engage with each other, have the right conversation, share information so that they're assisting each other in moving towards the goal rather than getting in each other's way? Three, is your team able to have the healthy conflict and debate that it needs to have to understand what it should be doing and when? I'll stop there, those three, okay? So can we focus? Can we collaborate? Can we have healthy conflict? If any of those things are absent from your team, it may be worth going, okay, that would be part of an ideal team. It's not part of my team right now. What change would I make to make that more real for my team? And then you just keep doing that. You keep making those little changes. And this, 
This is you taking a leadership stance and driving change. It's you using the relationships and the influence that you've built and aligning towards these goals and, and the vision of what even what you want the team to be. That's that's something we want to align the team towards. And then it's you building systems, be it through modeling behavior or through process to help your team move in that direction. If you're missing on any of those three elements, I'd say start there, start moving forward. Don't get caught just tinkering with what already exists and thinking that's a good doing a good job as a producer. It's a way more fun job to do it the other way too. Yeah, you get to have such bigger impact. So again, as we review uh, and close up, we wanted to talk to you um, all today about what we feel it means to be a producer and the core areas that producers should focus. Again, we understand that this is gonna be somewhat of a new line for a lot of you, um, but it's important because we want to see the industry change in this way. We wanna see producers be more valued. We wanna see teams feel better about having producers and we want producers to build skills that will benefit them late into their careers and so they can feel like they're constantly becoming more powerful as leaders as opposed to the alternative scenario where it's like, you know, you feel like you have a glass ceiling because you've just been doing the same management stuff for 20 years. So the three areas that producers should focus are on leadership, influence, and systems building. And each one of those has a couple of sub points. And, but uh, use this podcast as a way to dig deep or pass this to any other producers you know if you feel like it's valuable. And also don't hesitate to reach out to us on social media. If you have any specific questions around what these things mean, we'll be happy to dig deeper with you there. That all being said, thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this podcast, we invite you to join game developers around the world and sign up for the Building Better Games newsletter at www.buildingbettergames.gg newsletter. Every two weeks, we will deliver one actionable step that will increase your chances of delivering a successful game straight to your inbox. Thanks for listening.